You're listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Gray. Join me as we cover topics about nutrition, health, and lifestyle so you can have ancestral health in a modern world. Hi, and welcome back. This is episode 35 of the Ancestral Elements Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about the microbiota and the liver. This is one of the subjects that is starting to get quite a bit of attention in the literature, not only regarding nutrition, but epigenetics and nutritional genomics as well. The liver is an extremely complex organ. It's extremely multifunctional. It has many different cell types, which is unusual for organs. Usually they are a single cell type, but since the liver has so many operations, and does so many mechanisms and mechanical things. There's multiple different components that the liver deals with. And so we're going to get into details, not only what the liver does and how it functions, but how it relates to the microbiome and the GI tract, because it is a crucial component to that. And it's a crucial component to digestion and metabolism breakdown. I also want to talk about specific nutrients and timing of the seasons for specific nutrients to optimize liver function. So let's start with the microbiome. As you know by now, the microbiome houses five distinct kingdoms, so five species of microbes, which are primarily bacteria, but there's also viruses, protists, archaea, and fungi. So this whole network predominantly sits in the small and, to some extent, the large intestines, but it also is throughout the mouth, it's throughout the liver, it's throughout the spleen, it's in the lungs. So essentially, covers every major organ of the body, and it helps moderate and adjust to a changing environment internally and externally. So when we talk about the liver, it's extremely important to have liver health because it directly involves the microbiome, and then it directly involves metabolism and digestion. So it's this feedback loop where if the liver is compromised, then your digestion and nutrient breakdown will be compromised. So if the nutrient breakdown is compromised, then the liver can often be compromised. So it's this perpetual cycle. And so this is a primary organ that needs to be supported when you're dealing with any type of metabolic dysfunction or metabolic dysbiosis. Metabolic dysfunction is kind of a catch-all term for many different things involving the microbiome and digestion and nutrient breakdown. But the liver is probably the most key organ when it comes to adjusting how things get broken down and how things, how nutrients get stored in the body. Because the liver is a storage tank just as much as it is a filter in the body. It stores your blood that isn't in circulation. And it does that because it needs to not only filter the blood that isn't in circulation, but it needs to aid in digestion and pull different nutrients and proteins out in order to supply the blood with adequate nutrition when it gets circulated back into the body. Because the liver has an entrance and an exit for blood. And it's an extremely rich blood supply. So the portal veins dump blood into the liver. And the hepatic veins take deoxygenated blood out of the liver, back into the body so it can recirculate. There is a ton of documentation on kind of the circulatory mechanisms of the liver via the hepatic veins and the portal veins. That mechanism has been known for a really, really long time and is 
really well documented. Now with the advent of the Human Genome Project and then later on epigenetics, they started really dialing into mechanistic behaviors regarding liver function. And what was found, there's these signaling pathways called TLRs or toll-like receptors that interact with these molecular patterns that are called pathogen-associated molecular patterns, so PAMP. What these things do is they transfer bacteria from the gut to the liver, so from, from your microbiome to the liver. These signaling pathways and receptors bind to bacteria and other microbes and transfer them to the liver to aid in digestion and maintain homeostasis inside the liver, inside the GI tract itself, because it's, again, a feedback loop. So one affects the other. So if there's a bacterial imbalance being transferred into the liver from the GI, you can get things like fibroids in the liver. So fibrosis can pop up. You can get non-alcoholic fatty liver disease that can accumulate over time. And so, again, if the nutrient breakdown isn't great in the GI tract, then your liver can start to accumulate and build up not only toxins, but bacteria and other microbes that can cause liver enzymes to become heightened and your liver to overwork. And that's when you get things like stored fat in the liver and fibrosis, you know, and it can lead to other things too, such as cancer and all sorts of kind of corrosis of the liver. How it starts is inflammation, so inflammatory cytokines, because it's trying to deal with an overaccumulation of bacteria or the wrong assemblance of bacteria inside the liver. And so things get inflamed, right? The portal veins will get inflamed, the hepatic veins will get inflamed, the liver itself, the lobes will get inflamed. And anytime you have impaction like that, then things don't flow like they should. Just like if you have inflammation in a muscle or a joint, it's not going to move like it should. It's no different in an organ. So managing not only gut inflammation, but systemic inflammation through your body is extremely important. And I don't think a lot of people understand that inflammation can impact every single tissue. You know, people understand joints can get inflamed and muscles can get inflamed. But when it comes to organ inflammation, like the liver or the heart, the pericardium or the skeleton, people are a little more wishy-washy on that because you don't hear about it all the time. Because usually it's due to chronic accumulation or chronic abuse in a particular system of the body. You know, another thing that inflammation does is it changes the bile synthesis that's produced in the liver. And as it moves to the gallbladder, because your gallbladder is the one that stores bile, it changes the concentration of it because the liver makes the bile, it synthesizes the bile, but the gallbladder is what concentrates the bile to prepare it for digestion because then it dumps into the duodenum and into the pancreas and it helps bile acids break down food and fat in particular. And so if you're not getting adequate bile, if your bile is weak or if it isn't concentrated enough, then your fat breakdown is compromised. And where will it end up? It'll end up back in the liver. Does that make sense? And so if you have bad fat breakdown due to weakened bile or a weakened concentration of bile in the gut and in the duodenum, in the small intestine, 
then a lot of times homocysteine will rise, which is an inflammatory marker, and you, it can lead to non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, amongst other things, such as type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance. So again, it is extremely dependent. It's this two-way street that if one thing is mismanaged, generally the other thing is going to be compromised, at least to some degree. The great thing about the liver is it regenerates very rapidly. So if you change to a healthier lifestyle, healthier eating patterns, which we'll get into later, then you can make very quick work of a compromised liver. This is also a great area to compare Western medicine versus Eastern medicine, because while metabolic dysfunction is recognized in both systems of medicine, the approach is vastly different between the two. In Western medicine, the kind of hallmark of metabolic dysfunction is typically measured through insulin levels and insulin resistance, so at the pancreas, which is helpful. It's nice to know if you're insulin sensitive or not if and how blood sugar is being managed and because that leads to obesity and your body's ability to move fat, move fat through the bowels and through respiration and sweating because those are basically the three ways you get fat out of the body. It's through the bowels, respirating, and sweating, where most fat gets stored as triglycerides inside the liver. So again, when I say that your liver is a storage tank, it's not only a storage tank for blood, but it's also a storage tank for metabolite compounds, like triglycerides, for example. And so the pancreas, the gallbladder, and the liver all work in tandem with one another. It's like a big chain. And if one thing goes down, it's going to compromise the other two. If you look at this through the lens of Eastern medicine, and traditional Chinese medicine in particular, you control the pancreas and insulin levels through the liver and the gallbladder. And if you think about that, purely based on an anatomy physiology perspective, it makes a lot of sense because the liver is the kind of predominant organ of those three organs. It has the most functions. Again, it is extremely complex in what it has to deal with from not only storing, but breakdown and synthesizing and then releasing back into the body. So while I would agree insulin levels are extremely important to look at, a lot can be done through controlling the liver and how the liver functions, because that will dictate how the gallbladder functions, and it also will dictate the types of enzymes that get put into the pancreas, so the types of bile salts and acids that get put into the pancreas to create enzymes enzymes to break down and metabolize food and nutrients, to extract the nutrients out of the food. In traditional Chinese medicine, they don't really pay a whole lot of attention to the pancreas. There's no meridian for the pancreas. I mean, they control the pancreas through the liver and the gallbladder, which is a really, really interesting thing to do when you're dealing with essentially half of the Western population having metabolic issues that are a direct result from a dysfunction in these three organs that stem from diet and lifestyle issues. So therefore, managing the liver, in my mind, is extremely important. And I want to dive into some ways that we can do that throughout the year with certain types of food and nutrients we can get in to help kind of regulate the process of not only metabolite breakdown and digestion, 
but the microbiome. Important nutrients to get in in the winter months are organs. So eating liver, eating kidney, eating heart, specifically eating liver in the fall and winter months is extremely important. And it's important because of a nutrient called choline. In the body, you'll see it as phosphatidylcholine. Phosphatidylcholine has a profound effect on the brain and memory, but choline also is a crucial component to very low density lipoproteins. Remember, lipoproteins transport triglycerides into the liver, whereas high density lipoproteins take it out. If you have a deficiency in choline, it blocks the export of triglycerides. So it blocks the export of your HDL molecules to get it out of the liver. So it gets stored up as fat, resulting in non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So historically, through the winter months, it was a lot of organs. Organs don't store well, so they were eaten fresh, and they're highly nutrient-dense. So you don't need a ton of them, but you need them in your diet. And choline is one very important aspect of getting especially liver in your diet. You also get other vitamins and minerals in liver as well in high concentrations. But choline is very important to regulate fat in and out of the liver. In the spring, you're in dark leafy green territory. So bitter foods, right? Think about how bitter certain greens can get. Dandelion greens, for example. Dark leafy vegetables, especially cruciferous vegetables. So the brassica family, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, any of those leafy greens you can get in the brassica family contain a lot of sulforaphane. Sulforaphane is extremely helpful to the liver and to regulate the enzymes, to keep the enzymes low in the liver. Because if you have elevated enzymes in the liver, it means it's stressed. The liver's working too hard and it can disrupt not only the microbiome, but the other organs, such as the gallbladder and the pancreas. So in the spring, you should be eating a ton of fresh leafy greens, fresh growth, right? That meristematic growth of plants, and that will support the liver because it heightens it. Coming out of kind of the winter months where you're eating a lot of muscle and organ meats predominantly, you need a good influx of greens to kind of lift the body up, to spike up the liver and the gallbladder, to synthesize to produce more bile, to synthesize more bile, because that's what bitter foods do. It creates more bile. So think about like lemon rind, you know, bitter compounds in there, aged orange peel, foods like that where there's a bitterness to them. We don't think of bitter foods very often in a Western context because a lot of them are bred to be less bitter, but there's good medicinal qualities in bitter foods. And production of bile is one of those really important things that comes out of bitter foods. Kohlrabi is generally fairly bitter. You know, it's not something people eat a ton of. But again, it's in the brassica family. It's the same type of thing as broccoli or collard greens. Important foods. And if you can get them wild, they're even better. You know, mustard greens, dandelion greens, milk thistle. Or artichoke, because artichoke is just a big milk thistle. Any of those types of food will help cleanse the liver. So when you, hear, when you hear about detoxing the liver or doing a liver cleanse, that's kind of what people are alluding to. 
it's not so much that you're freeing the liver up of toxins, although there might be a little bit of that effect. It's that you're moving things out of the liver more efficiently. And sure, some end metabolites get moved out of there as well, but a lot of times you're moving fat out of there. You're releasing fat out of the liver. And as long as you're exercising and moving the body, again, through sweating, respiration, and bowel movement, and work effort, your muscles and body get fat out. It expels it out. So there's, you know, as always, an exercise and movement component to this as well, because getting fat out of the liver is kind of the first step. You need to get it out of the body as well. You know, so if you look at this from an anthropological perspective, eating seasonally in a good cadence, and then working off the landscape, walking, moving, squatting, right? All these natural movements that were once just a part of everyday life that we've gotten away from were very, very important, and they fit in very nicely with the nutrition and the lifestyle. It was just a part of it all. You couldn't separate anything because you had to move and get everything you needed off of the landscape, which we don't do that much anymore. And so we're kind of out of sync. And it's no wonder that the major organ in the body, the liver, is kind of out of sync for a lot of people. Most obese people have some liver issues, whether it's some heightened enzymatic issues or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or something a little more extreme. The liver is highly sensitive to the other systems and other organs. In the summer, foods that stimulate the liver is fruit. So good antioxidants, again, help oxidative stress that can accumulate in the liver. So again, it kind of helps keep the liver optimized. Some other great things in the summer are sulfur-rich foods like onion and garlic and scapes that are coming up. So high sulfur foods have a really profound effect on the liver as well. They help kind of regulate homeostasis in the liver and again help kind of move triglycerides, move fat in and out of the liver efficiently. In the fall, you're looking at legumes and seeds. So things like roasted pumpkin seed are high in vitamin B3, again, which is niacin. So niacin actually inhibits triglycerides getting into the liver. So niacin and choline are very important because choline will get triglycerides out of the liver more efficiently, and niacin will kind of block excess triglycerides from getting into the liver. And if you think about niacin from a mechanistic perspective, niacin is a vasodilator. So again, the hepatic veins and the portal veins, they dilate with niacin, and they're going to move things in and out more efficiently. So niacin-rich foods in the fall become really important. Because, again, you're back into winter and you're eating heavier foods. Your digestion tends to slow down a little bit in the liver, in the liver and the body in the wintertime because you're eating kind of more nutrient-rich and dense foods in the wintertime. At least you should be. Less carbohydrate, more fat, more protein. So you, would, you want kind of a ramp up going into winter and then you want a ramp up coming out of winter. And that balances your body. Does that make sense? So niacin will prepare your body for these heavier foods, heavier protein, heavier fat. Leafy greens that contain a lot of sulforaphane will bring your body kind of back out in the spring season. It'll increase liver function and gallbladder function and bile concentration. 
and then help you kind of expel those heavier nutrient-dense foods you were eating throughout the winter in the springtime. So again, like anything, there's a cyclical nature to this, right? Organs match seasons. If you eat appropriately, it will keep things regulated. And when you talk about keeping the body regulated, keeping homeostasis in the body, you can do it through food, but it has to be matched up with the seasons because your body changes with the seasons. Again, you get microbiome changes in the seasons too, which is why I'm talking so much about seasonality right now, because your microbiome is shifting with the seasons to prepare your body for these different types of food, and that affects the organs. Are you with me on all that? So it becomes extremely important to be paying attention to what you're eating and the timing that you're eating things. Again, you can dip into vegetables in the wintertime and higher fats in the summertime. It's not going to be detrimental. But overall, if you're timing your food with the seasons, your body is going to perform better. And it does this through modulation of organs and how things transport in and out of things and nutrient breakdown. All of that affects the microbiome and the composition of bacteria, protist, virus, fungi, archaea that, again, are in and out of the body, from the lungs to the liver to the small intestine to the large intestine to the pancreas to the spleen to the appendix. All of it matters. All of it has its role. You know, it's easy to focus on just one aspect. And the liver is just one aspect of this overall metabolic dysfunction, quote-unquote, that people are talking so much about these days. Just like insulin resistance, it's just one aspect of the overall picture of metabolic dysfunction. But the liver being the most complex organ in the body, it is very important to pay attention to it and to understand why it's the most complex organ in the body. Because people hear that and they may not realize why. It's because it's modulating three other organs. And it's making nutrients. It's synthesizing products so it can break down nutrients in the intestine. And it's a big loop. And if that loop gets disrupted, then things are going to fall apart pretty quickly. And liver dysfunction is on the rise. It's on par with obesity. It's about 46% of the population has liver dysfunction, which is really sad because about 46% of the population is obese. So they go hand in hand and it's all preventable. It's preventable through lifestyle and diet, right? Again, eating seasonally, eating the right foods in the right time to support your body in the way that it functions. It's pretty basic stuff if you really just sit back and think about it. But we don't put any emphasis on it. So if you know somebody who's dealing with some liver issues or metabolic dysfunction, you know, you can talk to them about this type of thing or send them this podcast. It's quite a bit of people. And a lot of times you don't even really know it if you're having liver or insulin issues because it can be subtle in the body. Um, but again, it's easily changed. All of this is pretty easily changed. Luckily, the liver gets so much blood flow and so much blood supply, it changes really rapidly. That's why the liver can regenerate so quickly. As long as you stop putting things into it that are damaging, it can regenerate. So excess alcohol, excess toxin, right? If you take that stuff out, 
and you allow the liver to optimize itself and regulate itself, it will do that. But you have to give it a chance. You have to get out of the way and give it some time. But it does it. And it does it very efficiently if you support it. And if you're dealing with a lot of metabolic dysfunction, if you have something like Crohn's or SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you know, anything like that, diabetes, it's important that you really focus on supporting the liver. Because the moment you start supporting the liver, it's going to support the microbiome. Don't underestimate bile and the way that bile changes enzymatic pathways in the pancreas. And ultimately, all of that gets dumped into the small intestine. You know, just like if you have weak stomach acid, the breakdown isn't going to be good. If you have weak bile production or a low concentration of bile from the gallbladder going into the pancreas and then into the duodenum, it's not going to extract nutrients well. And you're going to end up with an inadequate or an unbalanced bacterial load, viral load, archaea load, fungal load, whatever it may be, a combination of all of them, typically. And then all of that starts a snowball effect, a bad cascade of poor nutrient breakdown and utilization for the organs and cells of the body. This is a key organ. I really can't say that enough to kind of round out the thought on traditional Chinese medicine and the liver and the season. They associate the liver and the gallbladder with spring. So in the springtime, it was considered crucially important to get those bitter greens in, to re-stimulate bile production after heavier winter food. The liver in TCM is also associated with anger and uh, rage. And a lot of that is due to poor movement of bile from the liver to the gallbladder. Occasionally, the ducts can get plugged up or they can become permeable. They can get inflamed. And bile will kind of dump out into the abdominal cavity or into other extracellular fluids and cause some disturbances. And again, as we've talked in past episodes about the microbiome mediating and creating neurotransmitters in the brain and it moving up the spinal cord into the brain, it becomes really important that the microbiome is balanced so it can regulate production of neurotransmitters that make it into the brain. You know, feel-good hormones, serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, for example. If the microbiome is disrupted, if the liver and gallbladder are disrupted, those two are going to be disrupted. So it makes sense. It was profound wisdom to associate the liver and the gallbladder with disrupted neurotransmitter regulation that was being produced in the gut, how that impacts how you feel mentally, and that it can be equated with anger or rage. Now, they don't call it that in ancient traditional Chinese texts, but that's precisely the mechanism that happens. And so supporting the liver in the springtime should be in the forefront of your mind. All right, I think that that will kind of wrap it up for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, get outside, eat good food, and I'll talk to you guys this next week. See you later. Thank you for listening to the Ancestral Elements podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and leave me a rating and review. 
This will help people find the podcast so we can grow the audience. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to talk to me personally, go to the ancestralelements.com slash community to get access to the forum. We go through each episode every week and talk about these concepts and ideas in greater detail, and you can connect with other listeners. Thank you.